0: Welcome to the Motorcycle Vagabond Show. Today we're going to do a Motorcycle Vagabond Chronicles, and we are here with Stuart and Janelle Clark.
1: Yes? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, What do you guys ride? I ride a BMW F650GS. It's the 650.
2: And I've got the G, just the later model uh, 650GS, so they're both singles, single cylinders. I
0: was about to ask that, since there's a twin and a single. Have you yeah. been on both? Have we ridden each other's bikes? Yes. Have you been on both a twin and the single of the 650?
1: Oh,
2: no. no, not the 650. No. Not the twin, no. I haven't
1: actually been on that many bikes, to be honest. How many bikes is that? Um, there was, uh, before this bike, there was the Harley um, Sportster. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was a Yamaha Virago, the 250, which is my learner bike. And before that, it was a 50cc scooter. <laughs> I love scooters, especially in the yes. 50cc range. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. What do you used to?
2: Yeah, about the same, really. Pretty much the same Only, a, only other people's bikes a uh, handful of times, really. So I really, yeah, don't have that much experience in a range of bikes.
1: So, where are you guys currently at? We're in Bulgaria. We're on the coast, um, on the Black Sea, uh, staying near a town called Varna. How do you like it?
2: It's
0: yeah,
1: it's nice.
2: Yeah, it's 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 the wrong time of year for anywhere in Europe, really. It's it's cold. It is uh it's not it's not been miserable, raining and or foggy or anything, but it's just, it's just cold and um you know not, not the ideal riding weather. But, uh, and it's also
1: covid restrictions yeah. and bulgaria is not so bad um we've actually been really lucky to have been able to travel this year i think through parts of europe where um and the countries we we've, we've moved into um well we've avoided countries in full lockdown and there are countries you just you can't go um but the like croatia montenegro serbia and bulgaria so it's been easy for us to move around and ride, not not so much sightseeing. Restaurants have been mostly closed, but still kind of get an idea of the countries, what they're like, interact with people. I love those countries. I was there for two and a half months
0: last year, and those are, those are the ones you listed are some of my favorites.
1: They're, yeah, we've had a really good time. We've been in these, when did we enter Croatia? It was in um, October, October, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so we've been... Sort of slowly moving through there. Sometimes.
2: And the weather, when we got into into Croatia in October, the weather was really nice. Yeah. And um, and it was still nice. It's just, yeah, the change mainly has just been the weather. But, I mean, that's what we came here just to kind of see out the winter. It's a, Escape
1: the really cold, wet, snowy winter that you can get in Europe to – yeah, more mild countries.
2: We wanted to stay in the EU during while this COVID thing's going on so we can move around within without having to do proper border crossings. But um, obviously going into Serbia was different, but, uh, but they they didn't care, <laughs> the borders. Yeah.
0: Serbia doesn't care. I found that too when I crossed. They're like, oh, was green in his paper. Have fun. <laughs> I love Serbia, though. I met some really great people there. The hospitality was second to none that I experienced.
1: Did you, were you in the, were you moving in the motorcycle community or was it just kind of random? So that particular experience, I
0: had posted on a Facebook group that I was looking for people to meet while I was over there. And I met this guy in Budapest in Hungary. And he's like, He's Serbian, and he's like, after I left, he's like, you've got to go stay with my family. you got to go to Kladovo and stay with them. So I go stay with his family, who doesn't ride. He's the only rider in the family, but he actually runs a little motorcycle uh, family down there, like people. I wouldn't say a club or a gang, but they get together, and they ride together. But his family doesn't ride, but they took me in, and they took me out in the town. We went to a Yugoslavian punk concert, I got drunk. It was good times. Oh, wow, that's a great experience. He's so nice. He wants to do eventually when they have the money. He's thinking about buying some property to do moto camp Serbia. You know? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. We ran into some bikers. Uh, there were bikers slash uh, skidoo club kind of thing. They they had like a uh, moto club clubhouse, and we just we just needed a, Janelle's. Bike had blown over in the winds and broken her mirror, and they, um, we just needed somewhere to, to try fix and fix mirror. it, just to try and fix the mirror, just, mm-hmm. just someone to do, do some welding, basically. Oh,
1: just, by the way, his bike blew over, over as well. It wasn't just mine. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> it was massively strong winds. Anyway, um, this these guys took us in. They, um, they, uh, they actually they made us coffees, and they, they fixed up Janelle's bike, and at the end of it wouldn't accept any payment or anything, but also gave us a bottle of this homemade grappa, that was really strong and um, just, uh, yeah, it was, it was just really lovely of them. Just to, the uh, – we couldn't we couldn't communicate with them. Yeah. We, we just, and we were only in there for, like, 15 minutes while they were um, fixing up Janelle's bike and it was – we wanted them to we, – we were just kind of expecting there uh, were a shop that we were going to pay for their services, but no, not at all.
1: Yeah, it was nice. Do you speak any other languages? No.
0: Yeah. I get my oh. – translate and I usually learn hi thank you goodbye and cheers in every language I can yeah yeah Yeah. I figure you guys are about the same yeah (laughs) and (laughs) where are you originally from where are you originally from oh from
1: Sydney Australia so you've got the English thing going on and that's about it yeah yeah I think we were just we were a little bit naive when we yeah. left Australia um thinking that we'd get by with English um
2: and Australia but, doesn't really push languages
1: well certainly not yeah so certainly not where either of us grew up.
2: You get an introduction to it at school you but um but really, I mean we spent most of the time in my language classes just watching movies and it was yeah it was everyone was just mucking around really, so it really wasn't i mean if you took it as a proper subject uh you you probably you would do it just, properly, but you just
1: you just yeah. don't yeah, I think you just don't well I didn't see the benefit of it as a kid, yeah. I just didn't realize i mean I didn't think I'd do anything like this, but um definitely in hindsight, I wish we'd learned spanish uh we've picked up a little bit of Spanish like just to get by word like but more of a vocabulary vocabulary than than anything um but To have had some kind of language, like, under our belt, I think would have made it easier for us to pick up other languages while we were traveling. Yeah, it's just kind of really foreign to us. I think Europe's kind of
0: hard, though, because there's so many languages in such a small area. Mm. That was my big problem. Like, I changed. I didn't get to stay long through each country, so I didn't have enough time to even try to pick up most of anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think it depends on how slow you go and how much time you immerse in each culture. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you guys been on the road?
2: We're approaching seven years travelling. So we left in February 2014, but uh, 2018 and most of 2019 was pretty much spent in the UK just doing some work and setting up a, a business so that we could fund continued travel.
1: And what business did you set up? Um so we travel with our dogs and we developed a a motorcycle dog carrier which we now call the Pillion Pooch. And um I guess we just got a bit of uh we got a bit of interest while we've been traveling, people sort of saying, Oh that's really cool. I've never seen dogs on a bike. I'd love to be able to take my dogs on a bike so yeah, we decided maybe it was something we could have a go at. So we've been doing that the last couple of years. Um, it's a, a totally new challenge starting a business, and um, we've learnt, we've been learning a lot, a lot the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's um, yeah. So it's called the Pillion Pooch, and it's a motorcycle dog carrier just for small to medium sized dogs.
0: So I take it you guys are research and development and marketing and the website and sales. And counts, accounts, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why start the business in the UK?
2: It's a good question. Uh, it, the UK has really good logistics for shipping worldwide, um, just random, I don't. I don't know why, but I, we looked – so we looked at setting it up in the US, Australia, and the UK, basically just English-speaking countries. Um, Australia – is horrendously expensive to ship to anywhere in the world just because they're so far away from the rest of the world. And manufa- so that made,
1: yeah, and manufacturing in Australia yeah. is really, yeah, it's expensive.
2: Yeah, so that made no sense. Um, and the US, the majority of the market is in the US, and kind of in hindsight, it probably would have made a lot of sense. Um, shipping to Europe from the US was more expensive than the other way around so we can ship to we can ship from the UK to the US next day for uh like 70 pound or something whereas the the, altern- the the other way the other direction is close to double I don't know why uh, it's just it just made um it just made a lot more sense uh logistically to set up a business in in the UK for sh- worldwide shipping and they also have really good routes to everywhere else in the world. The US just seems to be really well set up for shipping anything around within the US, but going outside the borders, things change. I don't know why.
0: (laughs) You're telling me. It's hard for me to try to sell things worldwide because of that reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: there you go. It's
1: not, yeah. So your dog tent, what did you make it out of? Um... It, uh, the original one that we had made in Australia was pretty much all aluminium, um, but uh, the new ones, what we're riding with now, what we're selling, we have aluminium roll bars, four roll bars, which connect to an aluminium base tray, and um, there's a rotor-moulded plastic tub and a plastic apex, and then over the top is a PVC cover, like like what they have on the side of trucks so it's that sort of and it's sort of like a little tent shape so it, it looks like a tent but it's actually it's super strong
2: yeah the frame is aluminium and then the 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 sections that kind of just keep the dog bed in place that's plastic because that's not really structural and um yeah the top is has there's some plastic but mainly it's a it's an aluminium roll cage and it's yeah it,
1: the, and the cu- the cover over the top um that's uh, our, the original dog that we started traveling with. Her name was Skylar. Uh, we had her for seven years in Australia. She's the reason that we are traveling with dogs. She unfortunately passed away from cancer on our trip. And then we adopted, heard that. Yeah, thanks. Um, and then we adopted these guys that we have now, Weedy and Shadow. Um, but she got really anxious if she was exposed on the motorbike so that's why we wanted something that had a cover so that she could kind of feel like she was in in a little kennel i suppose but um with the with the options to kind of open it up and she can stick her head out but she's sort of protected from the sun and the wind and the rain and the cold and everything so that's why it, that's why it has a cover over the top um there are there are a few carriers out there that uh That that don't that don't do a cover, but I think most of them now do. I I sort of keep the dog inside, more or less. So, how many countries have you been to with your
0: dogs? We've
2: done seventy four countries now, and uh, so the first Skylar, our our, um, dog from Australia, she did she did she did. Ten or so. Before. She did.
1: She did from Texas through Mexico and Central uh, Central America into a couple of countries in South America. Yeah,
2: Colombia, Venezuela, Guyana, and Brazil. Um, and then we went back to Venezuela. That's where she passed away. And then we picked up Wheaty, and she did. She's done sixty six countries now. So she's our most travelled biker dog by far. And then we travelled all around South America with her, and just before we left, uh, we flew out from Bogotá in Colombia and we flew to Florida. Just before we did that, we saw Skylar, sorry, Shadow, Shadow Shadow walked across the road in front of me, and I swerved around her, but the car behind me went right over the top of her, and um, I pulled over and ran back and thought she was dead. But we always have a policy of whenever we see – Dog road kill or any animal really on the road we just check that it, it is dead um, and she was actually she was petrified completely uh, motionless but but she was alive she was just yeah just completely terrified so I, I picked her up and I quickly realized that she was okay she just had this um eye her eye was was hanging out of her head it was she um she'd just taken a bad knock to her head and so we tried to find a vet to get her fixed up but we were three hours from Bogotá it was in the evening all the towns we went to the vets were closed so we just rode with her and the next morning we took her straight to a vet we couldn't do anything that night and um, we we didn't have any intention of adopting her we just wanted her to be fixed up and um, yeah And we knew that where where we had picked her up from, there were these kids around and they had told us just to put her back on the road. She was just a a stray street dog. It was very rural. There's only like one house in the area. um, And uh, there were a few dogs uh, hanging around, but the kids had just told us just put her back. She's just a a stray. And um, so, yeah, we, we got her fixed up and the vet in Bogota said that she wasn't going to get rehomed because no one is interested in adopting us too many street dogs that need homes that no one's going to take a a dog that's uh
1: we just needed the excuse yeah (laughs) (laughs) i pretty much fell in love with her as soon as i saw her (laughs) that's awesome though
0: so what's borders crossings been like with having the dogs does it cost
1: more um most i would say for most of the world it hasn't it's not even an issue. Nobody even says anything. Um, It's sort of the more, uh, I don't know the correct term these days, like the more Western countries. Um, That's when you start needing things like vaccination records um, and sometimes paperwork. Um, So in the Americas, uh, there were a couple of countries in South America that we had to go to like the Department of Agriculture or equivalent, um, whatever whatever they were called, but basically a Department of Ag- Agriculture and get some a form filled in where you, you, you took your vaccination records and it just, it was like a covering letter almost to say that the records you had were legitimate uh, and the do- they've checked the dog and the dog's healthy and you can travel. Like between Argentina and Chile, we needed that document. We and turned it, up to the border one day, so... And it lasted, <laughs> and it lasted 30 days. So you'd have to, um, yeah, we'd have to go back and get it um, renewed uh, once it expired. But we did, yeah.
2: yeah. We turned up to a border one day up in um, near Bolivia, and it was so the border crossing is 400 k's from Hui, which is the nearest big town to the border. In that's in Argentina. In, in Argentina, so we're crossing into Chile. And we didn't have the paperwork, or the paperwork had just expired, and we really didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. But they said, "No, you need to go and get the um, get it redone." And it was uh, so we had to ride 400k's back to Hihui, and it was also it was the weekend, but it was a long weekend too. So we had to spend an extra three days in Hihui just getting paperwork for the dogs. Uh, well, at this at this point it was just weedy. It
1: was just weedy.
2: But um, yeah, there's there's been a, a couple of. Uh, issues but it's never stopped us it's just been
1: uh go back and get the paperwork sorted go back in so through most of africa nobody really cared it was again it was when we got to Mm. the southern africa i think they're called the southern african union is that right yeah the southern Mm. african union when you take an animal across borders through there you need a similar kind of document um to go along with your vaccination records but by the time we went to africa We'd already been into Europe and we'd got a pet passport for each of the dogs. Um, So within the EU, they've got It's a neat little document and it's a shame it's not fully international, but it has um, there's a little spot for their photos just like a a passport and um, it has all their vaccinations uh, when they were done, when they have to be redone, and everyone just recognises it within the EU, but it came in handy in Africa as well. Um, just a, like a neat little way of
2: just a- kept the officials at the border very amused to see they had their own <laughs> little passports.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> I bet that was pretty awesome for them. They don't probably don't see that much.
2: No, yeah.
1: but with um, with with carrying all the right documentation, um, they've never had to do any quarantine so far.
2: Our goal is to get back to Australia without having ever put our dogs into quarantine. And so far from our research, Australia is the only country where you would need quarantine uh, that we're going to. Iceland, I know, has a big quarantine, and that's why we're not going to Iceland. But um, Australia has a ten-day quarantine, but um, there is a workaround which we're uh, looking at, but keeping secret. A
1: legitimate, not a dodgy. It's a a
2: legitimate, legitimate way of. We're not dodgy. No, yeah, it's not dodgy. If
0: you're not dodgy as a traveller, are you even travelling? Well. (laughs) Very often <laughs> <laughs> I mean we all kind of do the dodgy things we got to to do the things we want to do. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. <laughs> so I, I take it you guys ride the same
1: bike for part sharing. Has that been a successful thing? Yeah, it's been um that was our logic and uh I think we're we're really glad we went with the same bike.
2: I would say yes, the part sharing is uh is really good but I just think the knowledge of the bike probably even more so I mean we're not mechanics at all um I did like a a basic um intro to mechanics in high school which was really valuable now but um but it was really just uh, learning how to change brake pads how to um, service your car just how things work really um really simple stuff but um
1: I didn't even know what a brake pad was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it does things. I don't know how, but it's fun.
2: <laughs> but YouTube has been our friend, so, <laughs> and um, and we've just yeah, having that that base knowledge has definitely helped an awful lot. But YouTube and um, and just online forums have been really good. Also, just speaking with mechanics, especially before we left the US, um, the guys at the shop where we bought our bikes from. They took us through uh, how to do an oil change, how to um, do everything on the bike. They were really, really good. They were great, yeah. Um, uh, But
1: mechanics along the road as well. Like we've – someone gave us this piece of advice, um, never leave – I don't think they're talking about all countries, but in some countries never leave your bike with a mechanic and walk away. Always watch what's happening, um, which makes – more sense if you know what you're looking at but just to make thing make sure things are done right and they so we sort of took that seriously well we took all the advice people gave us at the start of our trip seriously um and we did that so we were always watching when we we try to always get somebody to do a job for us especially once you get south of the U.S. labor's really cheap so you know it's a couple of dollars to have a tire change or couple of dollars to have an oil change or whatever um and they would so so, but but watching what they do so we were always learning
2: yeah
0: Yeah. is this to help learn and also to make sure they're not doing some sketchy shit yes
1: to be you know the um maybe i shouldn't say this this is controversial but uh the times where we've had really shoddy jobs done on our bikes have been when we've taken them to bmw workshops (laughs) I'm not I'm never gonna get BMWs once this year. Oh <laughs> no I don't think we're in the running anyway.
2: <laughs> I'd say the BMW product is excellent, but the it's particularly in um in less developed countries, the yeah, the, the, service, the service
1: centres uh, have done have really Done all, some dangerous things on our bikes. Yeah,
2: all they want to do they want to deal with brand new bikes that are um, just doing the they've just got to do an oil change and they're touching bikes that are never going anywhere. They just they yeah just coming in and out of the shop once a year. That's pretty much when the only time they're ridden. Um, if there's anything a little bit technical that needs to be done, they just don't know and they. Yeah, it's it's been dangerous actually.
1: The the, the best BMW mechanics are the ones that don't work for BMW. So they've got like their own workshop or they work from home or, yeah, they've they've been great. Actual BMW mechanics just not at I don't know why just at the service centres we've we've ridden away with um, really important bolts not being done up and you know things like that. So yeah, yeah, four coil leaking. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I've got yeah. a friend who had her engine seize on her DRZ 400 down in Centaur South America somewhere. I forget which country she was in. And she took it to a sketchy guy and they took it apart and sanded it. He glued a few pieces back together and the bike's still running like six years later.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. That's yeah. I mean, I had, a, I had my head gasket blow in Angola and I had a, uh, kind of a situation like that where um, they didn't really have the facilities to do an awful lot, but they did get, they pulled the block off and and they had a piece of sandpaper and they, you know, and the guy had a, guy had a cigarette out of his mouth the whole time he was working on the bike. <laughs> and, um, all went back together, got me across the border into Namibia. Unfortunately, it blew again, yeah. but then in South Africa, we had a great um, BMW mechanic. Uh, who just stripped my bike down and oh well, your bike as well really? Yeah. He did both our bikes. He was amazing. It only
2: yeah the, the fix in Angola only got us an extra two thousand kilometers, but that was enough to get us out of Angola. It was
1: because we had um a was, visa that, to worry about. Yeah,
2: that's what we needed. We just needed to get back on the road and going, and it was going to yeah, it was going to be a real problem if we um, if we were stuck. We couldn't get parts into the country. They had issues because they've got a financial crisis where their currency just changes every day so you just can't buy any or or shipping stuff in was impossible they put a second hand head gasket on Janelle's bike which I've never ever heard of a second hand head gasket being used but um that's what they did that's what that's all they had so yeah they they got it all back together and uh, and they did the sanding job and and got 2,000 kilometres, so we got out of trouble. And from Namibia, we were able to just ship it to South Africa where we could get some proper work done on it, so.
1: Yeah.
0: So speaking of shipping, do you guys use boats, air flight, do you go with the bikes or separately?
1: Um, we've, we've done all of those. <laughs> the only thing we haven't done on, I guess, I was going to say, the only thing we haven't done is a train, but if you count the Euro Tunnel yeah. as a train, we've done that. Um but we've shipped. We shipped them by container from the US to the UK. We shipped them by container from Egypt to the UK. After we finished Africa, we flew them um, from
2: twice flown them
1: twice. So we flew them twice. Flown them
2: from Colombia into Florida, and in Angola, we oh, went yeah. on a military plane. We we were them.
1: with them on the military plane. Yep. Yep.
2: Uh, just an hour flight. Um, yeah. Truck them more times than we'd ever want to. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Break down. <laughs> only, only,
2: only a few hours just to get out of trouble. But, yeah, they spent – Janelle's bike in particular spent a lot of time on the back of a truck.
0: So did you guys start on this these bikes or did you buy them sometime into your seven years?
1: No, these are the bikes we started with, but we bought them in Texas. So we didn't buy them in Australia and then ship them out. Um, that was just going to start – Costing too much, we decided. And bikes are pretty cheap in the US, so uh, that's where we started with them.
2: There was just no know. point in buying a bike in Australia to ship to the US.
1: For- I, it would have been nice to have Australian yeah. plates, but in in hindsight, it's a good thing we weren't interested. Like we didn't, we weren't worried about that because we've had um, we've had five different plates on the bikes. We, we currently have Bulgarian plates. <laughs>
0: So, how's the cost been for moving the bikes around?
1: Mm, I don't know that it's. I mean, we always Stu always researches to find the most economical um, solution for moving the bikes. But at the end of the day, it's not something where we go. Oh, it's too expensive because it's something we just have to do. Yeah. But we we've, we've been able to find. Like I don't know, pretty cheap solution. I'd say probably
2: the most expensive shipment of the bikes was Egypt to the UK, and not only was it expensive to do, it's kind of the cost just kind of kept adding up. And then when we got them, heaps of stuff was nicked off them, and um, so we should have probably gone for a more expensive option, a, a safer option. We just tried to find the cheapest. But solution. the cheapest had
1: always worked for yeah. us up into that point when
2: we so when we went from columbia into florida we flew them and that was the cheapest option that wasn't done for any ease it was just that we were in bogota uh, we would have had to ride down to cartagena to ship them and if and from there we would have then had to fly the, to get to Florida, we would have had to fly back to Bogota or take a bus or something, which was going to cost money, then, then fly to uh, Miami and then where we would have picked them up. But considering when we've got to do it, even just a short flight like that, we've got to fly the dogs as well. So suddenly the price goes up if we've got to move from a port to a major airport. So when we did the, the cost comparison, it was, it was actually cheaper to just fly the bikes from Bogota and it's actually it's it was I think it was $900 per bike all up so it yeah it was I think we were looking at 500 for shipping plus whatever the port fees were going to be uh, and, and then, we, and and then we, our flights we
1: and we were weighing doing the you know doing the dairy gap crossing again and going up through Central America again, because we'd already come down through Central America and we just decided that um, if you look at the, the costs in that respect as well, what that, what that would add up to and um, I guess the hassle of the border crossings again. We
2: also looked at flying from Bogota to Panama, but again, then, then we had to do all those border crossings. And, uh, and again, I don't think that was any cheaper than flying all the way to Florida. We also looked at flights to Chicago, to New York, to um, Toronto, yeah. and um, for some reason, there's something uh, unique about Florida. Not only is it shorter distance, but they have their taxes are far reduced. So there's no dangerous goods tax. This is back in two thousand and fifteen, so I don't know if these don't don't quote me on this. It could have changed, but at the time, it was it was it was really cheap flying to Florida. And it was just—it was—it really, in our circumstances, was cheaper than
0: than shipping by sea. Nice. So, how do you do your research? Do you just Google it, or is there any forums that have good information?
2: Google, yeah, uh, Google's probably the main one. But there's iOverlander. I'm not sure if you're mm-hmm. aware of that yet. Of course, um, that's that's a big resource for us. Probably not so much though. Back in 2015, I think I were not uh,
1: using it so much back then. No, oh, yeah.
2: uh, Google. But I think probably back then a lot of it was actually word of mouth as well. The 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 agent that we went to was just someone who we had been told about. Pretty much the whole time we were traveling around the Americas, you're talking to people. Yeah,
1: that's right. And
2: they'd come and go on and you find out what agent they used to come in and go out. Um, so so there's a lot. There was a lot of information just word of mouth. Back in those days. But
1: there are, there are a lot of bikers traveling the Americas and everyone's doing it slightly differently and um, yeah, with different budgets and different time frames. so you do get really different information on on the options out there.
0: That actually is a really good way to explain for someone who is on the cheap side and having the time why a lot of information could be bad or b- bad advice because the expensive option' not the one that you want. Yeah. So, how many miles
1: do you guys, or kilometers, do you have on your bikes? Well, actually, the the bikes are in miles because we bought them in the U.S. <laughs> I'm on um 118. Wait, 118,000. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's only got five digits. So when it went to nine 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 five nines <laughs> miles which was in Denmark, it went back to zero. And now I'm on over 18,000 miles again.
2: So we've done, yeah, we've definitely done over 100,000. Mine's just, mine had only 2,000 miles on it when I bought it. And now I'm over, um, yeah, 100 hundred and two, hundred and three thousand miles. But we, both of us at some point in the travels have lost our, um, uh, the, the sensor on the rear wheel that does te- measures your miles. So, uh, so we think there's probably an extra twenty thousand miles because I didn't have it for the whole of South America, and Janelle had it for a whole um, continent pretty much as well. So, there's a loss there.
0: <laughs> that is awesome, though.
2: <laughs> so, to be honest, we we know we know for certain we've done over a hundred, a hundred thousand. Uh, probably, think probably it's,
1: about one hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah.
2: We, think yeah. there's 20,000 lost miles, but we don't
1: know. Yeah, which is actually, I don't know, when when I think about where we've been in the size of planet Earth, it seems like a small number.
0: <laughs> I mean, not really. I think that's a pretty incredible distance, but to each their own. So yeah. on the bikes, what kind of modifications did you do to them?
1: Um, when we bought them... We geared them up with Touratech, so we put on the 45-litre panniers. Uh, we put on the long-range fuel tanks, so they can do about 500 miles. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is great. Uh, the Touratech bash plate and the Turatech suspension, which um, the advantage of that over the, the stock BMW is that it can be repaired.
2: It's a serviceable. Oh, it's a
1: serviceable, yeah. You don't just have to buy a new one. Yeah. Um
2: that's if you do it in time. Where well, I think we did it in time for Janelle's, and mine, I just kept but by the time we went to service it, there'd been so much damage inside, so much um rubbing of the uh, bushes that it was just it, it it all needed to be replaced. But to did there's a really good deal on a new unit, so um yeah, they're actually really good for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um what else have we done? We put in the K and N filter. So you just um that's right. Isn't yeah, it? filter, yeah. 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 And oh lately uh we've been using oh yeah, we bought uh the oil filter is a metal one.
2: It's an aluminium, I think it's my Scots Oiler, uh, that do the the chain oiler, they make a a an oil filter that is all aluminium, and you just so you, you just, just clean, clean it. it with you just, the, yeah, with yeah some you, fuel or something. Yeah, you you can just use petrol to clean it. Um, just make sure it's dried out thoroughly before it goes back in. If you do that, but it's it's really good because you when we do need to do an oil change, all we need is oil. The filter, both the yeah, the oil filter is um, we just clean it, and yeah, we're good to go. I mean, we were only changing the oil filter probably every second uh, oil change like a lot of people do, but this way we've, we haven't changed the oil filter in, in years now.
0: Yeah.
2: It's supposed to be good for life.
0: Nice. I'll have to look into a reusable one. I'm not sure my bike does it, but probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what attracted you guys to the trip or the lifestyle, and what was your original plan for getting on the road? Did you have a time limit?
1: Oh yes, we did. Uh so we said that we would take two years to travel around the world. Um and uh yeah that was that was completely naive, really.
2: <laughs> we had you set out a route. We had set we planned everything. We had like a spreadsheet with every day and we had like um kind of rest days and and a little bit of fat in there so that we knew if we hadn't made it to a certain destination by a certain time, we had some days to catch up. And it was crazy uh, how organized we were, how prepared we were to do a two-year trip. But one of the reasons why we did it was because just before well, before we left, I was in the Navy. And um, I, I still left with my Navy leave. And while I was technically still employed by the Navy, I had to give them a full itinerary of everything we were doing um so just so that and they had to approve it uh pretty much well they did have to approve it so it was it, it kind of needed to be done but i mean it went out the window within the first uh, week we oh we, yeah we, we it was
1: right at the start we were only meant to be in dallas for two weeks and we ended up being there for five
2: just sorting out the paperwork for the bikes yeah and,
1: yeah and just
2: actually relaxing into the trip really it was yeah
1: yeah, and then but then we kind of we pushed ourselves a bit through Central America trying to catch up the time because we'd bought um, tickets to the World Cup in Brazil, so we'd set that milestone, um, which I'm so glad we did. We really enjoyed it. We're big football fans, but uh, it was stressful, um, especially when we got to Panama and we knew we needed to get the boat across and. You know, we'd been talking to people, and we knew we had information, but we really didn't know how it was all going to work on the ground. And we got we got really lucky um, the night we arrived into Panama City. We booked onto a boat that left the next day, so we missed we missed doing any touristy stuff, but we got um, we caught up some time there, I suppose. But um, after the World Cup, we had a a bit of a think about did we want to keep did we still want to try and do the whole thing in 2 years or did you know versus what was the rush and um we decided we'd just go we'd go we'd do what we wanted to do and that's when it changed
0: so what originally gave you the idea to do this oh yeah
2: hmm i i,
1: I wanted to, to be <laughs> i wanted
2: to travel since i was really young my sister She went and did some backpacking when she was, uh, well, I think she was like 22 or so when she took off, when she was young, anyway. And I'd always kind of really admired what she did. And I did try it when I was 18, but I was way too young. I kind of flew to the UK and no idea. I just bought a ticket and just went. Uh, My mum really didn't want me to go, but um, I didn't listen to her. I just did it. And it kind of made no sense. Most backpackers are are definitely not as young as I was. And so I was amongst – I was living in a house with a bunch of 24-year-olds and they kind of didn't want much to do with me. Um, They weren't – they were really nice people, but, you know, they're just – you're not in the same uh, space. So it was a failed effort. I came home after like – I spent six months – but uh, I came home and it's just like I felt like I'd always never achieved what I wanted to with that trip. And I, I just went to the UK for six months. Like it's not at all travel. Um, so, yeah, it's just I just always wanted to go and do a, a proper trip, at least six months or 12 months. And since our first date, we kind of discussed it. Uh, in fact, we were. Yeah, I mean,
1: I liked I liked the idea of travelling. I definitely wanted to travel. Um, but I think for me that. The trip grew, so it went from, you know, we talked about just sort of doing backpacking when we were dating and then, you know, next thing we know we're married with a dog and, um, yeah, trying to figure out what can we do, could we leave her, we didn't want to leave her. Um, So if if we're going and we're going to take her out of Australia, then let's do as much as we can. Um, Let's try to see. the, And, yeah, it just kind of grew. The trip it wasn't that we sort of went we want to travel around the world on motorbikes from day one it was going to be backpacking and then when the dog came into the picture it's well how are we going to travel with a dog we could do it with a car maybe we could do it with motorbikes um car was going to be too expensive which is why we went with motorbikes they were cheaper a bit more a bit more easy to move around um yes that's kind of how it I think that's kind of how it grew when you left for your trip, how
0: had you saved up your money? Like, what kind of work were you doing?
1: We both had we both had good jobs. Stu was in the navy, um, and he'd done a few deployments, and you get you get sort of these big lumps of tax-free money out of those. And I was working for the council, and I had a really good job. So we saved for five years, and we saved what we thought would be enough to travel around the world for two years, and yeah, yeah and, we, and actually, I think we did. I think we got that bit right. That's something we got right. Well, we well,
2: we definitely had enough. We had more than enough money. We one of the other well, things. For I, that, yeah, for that plan. <laughs> I had seven months of leave owing to me when I left because I just wasn't taking leave, and I had I I'd just come back from a deployment, and so you accrue a whole bunch of extra deployment leave and all this. Um, so I had all this, all this, uh, this leave owing to me. And I just took that as I was, so for the first seven, it was seven point four months of leave I had. So for the, for the first seven point four months, I was being paid my full time wage. Like it was, uh, it was, it was really good. Um, so yeah, we just we had more than we had more than enough. So and that's we made that when we made the decision that we were going to just kind of make it open ended. We um, yeah we 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 budgeted for a hundred dollars a day. And in South America, we were easily doing uh, less than fifty dollars a day on average. So.
1: Yeah, we weren't looking to, you know, waste the money. Yeah. We still wanted it to. We yeah, we wanted yeah. We were doing careful it in- with it, but we did. We did a lot of. We did a lot more tourist activities than we do now. For example, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I understand that one quite well. The pennies <laughs> that you save today will go at the end of the trip. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you don't have to say it, but how much did you guys leave out with? You can say, like I said, you don't have to say it if you're uncomfortable, but I'm kind of curious how much you guys had. Yeah.
2: We ha- we, so we had the equivalent of, uh, with the, taking into consideration that I was earning over those seven months, we had uh, like two hundred thousand to play with Australian dollars, which at the time of when we departed was on parity with the US dollar. It went down quite quickly, um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's about 80%, I think, 80 cents to the dollar now. So it was, it was a, a substantial amount of money.
0: And how long did it last you before you had to start making money? Ooh, really, it probably lasted us
1: close years? to four years. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that really helped once you changed your, the way you thought about the money, when you went open-ended, you started spending it differently?
2: yes
0: yeah 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 i agree it's hard to teach that to people well you know they they think it's a hard-ended answer but it's not so when money you guys is just are on the a road, difficult conversation Sorry. <laughs> it is it really is so when yeah. you guys are on the road do you hotel hostel
1: camp paid campgrounds? where do you sleep at all of the above and everything in between yeah. So we do um anything from wild camping through to yeah to staying in hotels um, we have like we have a budget we don't want to spend over occasionally we get caught out um, in certain circumstances where we have to go over the budget but uh, yeah, I mean, we enjoy all of it we enjoy camping. Um, The girls love it when we're in the tent. As soon as we park the bikes up and the tent comes out, they're trying to climb in before it's even up.
2: (laughs) The girls Um, are the dogs, by the way.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What kind of tent do you have? We have the... Exped
2: Venus 2 now. We have the...
1: We had the Venus 3, which was great, and then Stu accidentally bought the Venus 2, which is still a really nice tent. It just it's not as tall.
2: So, the, yeah, I wanted to get exactly the same tent because it was five years old when we replaced it, all. and we had really punished it, and it was still, like it was, it was just old, and it was starting to to, to deteriorate. It had, um, you know, just UV damage. It was, it was just an old tent. Um, but I was so impressed with how well it did that I just wanted the same tent again. So I Same. went. I went. I went online <laughs> looking for one, and I I bought it just on eBay, and it got delivered, and I, we opened it up. We we went to a um Horizon Unlimited event in Wales, and it was the first time we pulled it out, and we tried to put it up, and I'm we like, this thing
1: is What's happened half the size. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it uh, it's great because the actual packaging is much smaller. Yeah. It should have been the first like giveaway, but um, but yeah, it was uh, yeah it it's uh it's big enough it's definitely big enough for us yeah you just you can't stand up you could stand up and kind of, well, kind of hunched over you could stand up and get changed in the other one this one is you've got to be lying on the bed to put your pants on it's just <laughs> yeah yeah but so we yeah
1: you
0: guys, Sorry. have you guys gone with quality gear
1: for your sleeping bags and your pads and all your other stuff as well yeah yeah we have, and I'm so glad we did, because, like nearly seven years later, we still have some of the original stuff, and it would be nice to replace it, but now we don't have the budget.
2: <laughs> yeah, we've got these awesome sleeping bags that are rated to minus 30 extreme and minus11 comfort, I think. But we've been in- minus 15 in Bolivia, and um, it was it was absolutely freezing. And uh, just uh, we just wanted to get straight into the sleeping bag. As soon as the sun went down, it just was crazy. And, um, and we were fine. And once we were in the sleeping bags, just...
1: What are they? What brand are they?
2: They're Cedar Summit.
1: Oh, C- Cedar Summit. And they zip together, um, which is so great for us. Because when you zip sleeping bags, so we have a left and a right, when you zip them together... The combined volume inside is so much bigger. So all four of us, the dogs go in the sleeping bags as well. All four of us just get in there, and we all share our body heat.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that really helps for keeping warm in negative 15 days. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? I know it's pretty close, (laughs) but.
2: So I don't. You can do the conversion. I don't.
1: (laughs) No idea.
0: So what kind of dangers have you guys encountered on your seven years of adventuring? When, have you wrecked? Have you had any people problems or animal problems when I say that?
1: Uh, we've had, well, we've had, I've been attacked by baboons <laughs> who, hijacked, who hijacked my shopping when I came out of a supermarket. That was pretty scary. If you've ever seen one, they've got these giant canines and they, um, they work really well together. As a pack. As a pack. <laughs> um, Stu's had an accident, a bad well, – oh, we both had accidents. Yeah. Stu had a bad one in Mexico where it was his fault. He had a head-on with a car um, which landed him in hospital and stitches. I had an accident in Sudan. Um, wasn't uh, her fault. That one wasn't my fault.
2: Um, Minibus doing I don't know what speed. It went flying. It, it hit her and then went flying past me. It went into the sand and just this yeah, just trail of um of sand dust behind it. It was it was still caning along. It was crazy. Janelle was really lucky that um
1: I think our bikes are so big and so loaded. Um <laughs> the bike just in every time every time the bikes have done a pretty good job of protecting us. We were in riots, we got caught in riots in Ethiopia. Um we've been in we've ridden through demonstrations in countries all around the world and even if there is trouble, um, nobody's ever bothered us but there seems to be, I don't know, this kind of unofficial...
2: The riots in...
1: Unofficial, uh, I don't know, rule where bikers just kind of get let through. So when taxis or buses are blocking roads, they always stop and let the bikers go through and carry on their journey. and that had been our experience up to that point. But unfortunately in Ethiopia, there was just a few people who decided that, um, yeah, we were there and they were all riled up and had to go. And we'd like.
2: They, ha- they were holding these like scaffolding poles um, or just whatever they could kind of get their hands on as weapons. There It was a mob. We'd, we'd ridden through what we thought was just a protest. And there were lots of people. It was all really, pro- really peaceful and then when we got further up the road, we thought we were pretty much past it. We got further up the road and there was this mob of people just kind of having a go at any cars that were were driving past, like smashing them with um, with these poles. And I got around, they were on the other side of the road, and I, I kind of got around and Janelle's behind and they saw me, um, but I'd gone past already. And then they um, they saw Janelle and they just they, the mob just kind of moved over to her side of the road and they just pulled her off the bike. And she kind of, the way that she went down, the bike kind of just swung around and cleared a clearing around her. But um, but they just kind of came in, and as she went down, she screamed, and they realised at that point that she was a girl, and um, and I just parked up the bike and ran back to her, and people were just telling me just get her up, get up, get up and get out of here, just leave. And I think if I they actually really didn't
1: need to tell me to no. do that, <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to do.
2: <laughs> they were, um, yeah, there was a, they, there were people in there that were just looking for a fight, but I think.
1: But that uh, was just, it was really just, I mean, sorry, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> well, it's, I think
2: I, I'm certain that if it wasn't for the fact that Janelle was a girl, I think it was two guys going through there. I think it could have been a different story because there were 11 people killed in that um, in those riots and it's just a small little town like uh, it was really it, it, I think it was probably the most dangerous situation we found ourselves in and um, yeah and we just I think I still think we were really lucky uh, yeah
1: yeah there's a lot of luck on the road yeah isn't there? yeah there really is and I'm
0: glad the story turned out well for you and you were able to get out of there yeah thanks that's a crazy story. I've never heard one like that one before. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> so when you ride, what do you guys like to see? Like, what is your goal for while you move? Do you like history or nature or off-roading?
2: I like history. I really like being in Europe and seeing all the Roman um, ruins is something I really enjoy seeing. Or just any any history, any um, ruins are really cool to me.
1: I I really like um, seeing all the local arts and crafts and local music. Um, I like that kind of scene. That sort of the cafe scene with the markets around. That's what I really enjoy. Yeah.
0: So I'm not go, so,
1: first, go for it. <laughs> go ahead. No, I was just going to say I'm not so interested in the rocks <laughs> like Stu <Stew> is.
2: <laughs> but I'd say above all, it's the culture. That's that's the reason why I travel. I do like seeing those kind of landmarks, but the culture is – but interaction with the people is always more what I'm looking for than um, than these these attractions.
0: So you guys' interests take you more through cities and
1: larger population areas compared no, to, like, back roads? No, I really – I try to I try to avoid cities as much as possible. I don't like going into the big cities. I like the little towns. That's that's what I like. There's
2: been some yeah. exceptions, I guess, because Buenos oh, Aires, yeah. we both really really loved, and Rio as well. And There's we went to some... New
1: York and Chicago. Yeah. So there are big cities we go to, but um, I think where we get yeah, we but we do mostly try. Yeah, we mostly try to avoid. If we don't need to or there's nothing particular to see, we'll go around the big cities.
2: Sometimes it's just hard because big city, like all the roads go to the big cities, heads to the big cities. Or you need
1: to get parts. So yeah. that's the only place. Or dog food. It's the raises. only place you can get. Um, you ha- so, yeah, so you end up in big cities. Speaking of dog food, have you guys had to
0: change brands a lot for your dogs? Yeah, pretty much <laughs> Pretty much every bag is different from the one before. <laughs> Are they used to that? Like, are they cool with it? Does it help? Is it bad for their health? Um,
1: we get the best we can, and um, in most countries, you get you you'll get quite a range of dog foods. There's only been a few countries where you just get like the really cheap stuff, and that's all you can get. And when that happens, we'll get um, we'll try to get them uh, fresh meat as well, so that their diet, yeah, so that they're getting a bit more of a balanced diet.
2: I'd say there are. People with pets all over the world, if they especially when yeah. you get to the big cities, like all through Africa, you've got expats that are in there working um for like two years or whatever, whatever their, their contract is, and they they'll a lot of them do bring their pets from back home. So it's surprising how many vets there are in in cities in Africa. We were in um Libreville and we found Janelle actually found this dog while she was out running, she brought it back and I thought, oh god, we've got another dog. Uh, (laughs) um and uh we went looking for the a vet the the vet that it was because it was an it was a pet dog it was definitely not a street dog and the amount of vets we we went around to like five different vets just trying to yeah
1: within like a 10 kilometer radius yeah who
2: had the microchip because it was microchip the the first vet we went to found there was a microchip but said it wasn't on his register so we had to go around finding eventually we found the owners but um it's just really surprising how many vets there are out there and anytime we've had to have out like an issue with any of our dogs uh, we do a google search for a vet and you always find them in it's provided you're in a big city um,
1: and then when you're at the vet, you can ask where the, where you can get pet food from.
2: Yeah. And those, those yeah, those pet those vets will have a shop associated with it and, yeah.
0: Yeah. So what do you guys do for food? Do you eat out or do you carry food? And if you do, what kind of cooking gear do you carry?
1: Um,
2: we eat poorly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> our, our diet's terrible when we're, when we're traveling. We try, you know, it depends on... It depends on the country. So we do try to eat the local food because um, it's cheap, it's available, it's fresh, but in a lot of countries it's not so healthy. Um, in uh, I think in, in Latin America the, it was great. You know, you could buy chopped up fruit in containers. Um, well, and they got- had soups, like these soups, a the guy with a little trolley in a soup. Um so we ate quite well there, and, and Brazil, you could go into restaurants and get a plate, and then you'd fill your plate up, and then they'd weigh it, and you just paid by weight.
2: I think we got really spoiled going yeah. in, particularly Mexico being our first country. We had all the camping gear, all this cooking gear, and we did yeah. use it from time to time, yeah. but we were just like, it's just, when we went to a supermarket to buy the raw stuff to make food, and we added it all up, we were like, we are spending more, because we have a lot of wastage on the motorbike, you can't, you, you buy a whole... Lettuce when you don't need a whole lettuce and like things like that. Um, we'd be we just worked out that we, it was cheaper and quite a bit cheaper just to be buying street food. yeah, so we just went that option pretty much for most of Latin America. and um,
1: we did we did that in Africa as well, and yeah um, I think that's our diet wasn't so great. the The local <laughs> food <laughs> they have this it changes name from country to country. Um, in one of the countries, I can't remember which one, it was called chips my eye, and it was potato chips with a red salsa over the, kind of over the top, and you get it in a plastic bag, and then you eat it, and it actually it tastes amazing. It's so unhealthy. So we kind of moved around Africa eating bags of chips, and um, they'd eggs. also did this this thing. Um, they'd have like a hot plate, and they'd have they'd crack eggs, and they'd have this kind of create a batter and roll it up a bit like a naan bread type thing. Again, it changed slightly through each country and the name changed, but it was basically the same thing. And so it was one or the other for breakfast and then the other one for dinner. <laughs> but if we ever have to cook for ourselves, it tends to be baked beans and porridge. <laughs> <laughs> and if we don't cook enough, either we mix them together.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. So how much food can you guys carry for the dogs and how long does the Food last.
2: I try and limit Janelle to a seven kilo bag. I say no more than with twelve kilos.
1: Which is a lot of, it's a lot of dog food, but it's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> it's sometimes cheaper than the seven kilo bag. And so, then and then we then we bag it up. So we'll we'll try to get dog food when we've stopped somewhere somewhere for a while, like maybe a week or a couple of weeks. And then we can kind of get through a bit of it and then the rest kind of gets bagged up and distributed in different panniers and bags and things. So the dogs actually pretty much always have a good supply of food. We always have their food sorted.
2: If we do buy a big bag, they they eat really well for, for the a... first
1: half of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> then they go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> so with your street
0: food habit has it turned out well or have you ever had any issues eating the food
1: um we we've been sick a couple of times um that's going to happen but honestly i never know whether it's something we ate or something we drank or something we touched like yeah i don't know because one of we never get sick at the same time
2: yeah that's I good think it's, i yeah. think there's probably only
1: really hasn't been i mean in seven nearly yeah. seven years there's There was a couple of times in the Americas and there was a couple of times in Africa. Um, And we really do eat, like we're sitting down. And one place we ate in Africa, um, (laughs) we didn't realise it until after we'd eaten, but it was like a little market thing and they had a big pot of rice with bits and things in, like veggies and stuff in it. We ate our food and as we we had the plate of rice, we watched the lady would go and take the plate's, that were left on the table and anything that was left on the plates went back in the pot. <laughs> That's one way <funny laughs> to save money. <laughs> so, I mean, it, yeah. yeah. Obviously, um, think, COVID has I, changed our perspective on, on, you know.
2: I think we've got pretty hardy guts, though, from now, yeah. from, from eating street food.
1: And and we try to drink tap water if, the like, if other people are drinking, if the locals are drinking tap water, we drink it. We want our tummies to be tough.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't tell other people to do that. You have to do what what works for you that works yeah. for us. I'm kind of the same way. If they're
0: doing it, then I'll do it too. Yeah. 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 So how do you guys feel like you've changed since you started traveling? How is it when you visit your old friends? How is it when you make new friends? And how has your relationship changed? Ooh,
1: there's three questions there. I I give a
0: lot of questions at once because I want you to I want this to go a certain way. So all the questions will help you form the answer in the direction I am trying for.
1: Okay. well, we'll start with our relationship. Um, I think we've become a lot closer. Um, Before we traveled, we actually didn't spend a lot of time together. So when we started traveling, the first few months were really difficult. We were arguing a lot um, just trying to work out where we stood with each other, how to make decisions together. Um,
2: it was really because, tough. Yeah,
1: it was really tough because because we were in each other's pockets, basically, uh, any decision one of us made really affected the other one. So um, things like how far we were going to travel that day, when we were going to eat, like just the simple things that you think wouldn't be a problem become a problem very quickly. <laughs> and it just comes down to communication so yeah. i think that's that's been a winner for us actually it's, that's really helped our relationship learning to communicate with each other and i suppose that leads on to then relationships with our friends and um people we meet uh better communication um it's yeah
2: yeah i think it is hard to talk to friends back home because they don't you've grown so much um in a certain way everyone's growing all the time so they're a lot of our friends now have got uh have got kids and that's something we don't understand because we haven't gone through that we're not going through that so um it's hard for us to have a conversation with them about that um and it's hard to kind of understand why People don't seem so excited. Like when we tell them stories, they that we think are really exciting. When we re, we meet other travellers and we talk to them about them, they they really get excited about it, and we they can tell us their stories that we get excited about. We because we have this travel thing in common. Our friends back home they just don't understand it, and it's kind of both so, goes both yeah, ways. it goes so, both ways. Yeah,
1: we just our lives are very different now. Yeah. We have, we actually, I think some of the the best conversations we have are with other, with other travellers, not necessarily bikers, but other travellers. Really um, sharing stories is just uh, such, yeah, such a great part, which is not something that I would have thought would be um, a big part of this trip, but it really has become such a big part of our trip, um, trying to meet up with other travellers and,
2: yeah. kind of the, the idea of getting back to Australia and being able to host travelers is something that's really kind of exciting to us now I like mean just to to be able to continue the travel through other people when we when we do eventually finish up our travels that's kind of a really exciting prospect
0: yeah, and the same way I want to do the same thing when I stop one day, yeah. <laughs>
1: And you'll know exactly how it needs to be. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. The experience with other places
0: will give you the idea of how you want your place to be. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have? Do you guys see an end in sight, or are you still very open and continuing on for a while?
2: Yes, we have this plan to get back to Australia, so we're kind of heading home now. Um, it's been. We in fact we were heading back in March last year we were we we kind of again we'd 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 planned everything out not not to the extent of last time but we kind of had this this plan of all the countries we were going to go through in Europe and then we're going to go across to Mongolia and make our way back to Australia um, and hopefully be there by the end of 2021 kind of thing Mm. and then COVID obviously happened and threw that all out but that is our plan we we are we are on our way back to Australia as soon as Covid lets us.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. And is it
0: your plan to stay when you get there, or are you going to hit the road again?
1: Um, well, first we'd like to tour around Australia on the yep. bikes, um, and I think that'll be the last legs for the bikes. Um, then they're going. Then we're going to buy a house and put them in the lounge room, and everyone's going to have to look at them.
2: <laughs> we'll always be travelers.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I think that's never going to change now, but um, but I think we will, I don't, you know, yeah, it's really hard. It's so hard to, hard
1: to say. Yeah. Uh, the the idea of having our own place is it's definitely exciting. I mean, definitely last year when things broke out, you know, we're, we're homeless. We don't have a home anywhere in the world. And that's a bit scary when something like that happens. Um, We, you know, we survive. We have great friends who helped us out. Um, so we're lucky, but... I think, yeah, I think that would be a nice next challenge, to have our own place, but how long we stay there, I have no idea whether we decide to hit the road again, whether we go in a car, or there are definitely so many places we want to go back to.
0: Nice. Do you guys ever get tired of anything about the road life? Anything that kind of grates your nerves, or like, ah, this again?
1: I've developed a phobia for police. <laughs> when I see police, my heart just starts racing. <laughs> I just really don't like police anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not have they given famous. you a reason
1: to not like them. Oh, I think just uh, you know, um, through some countries where they sort of stop you and harass you a bit, trying to get trying to get money out of you, and um, yeah. Did I you pay? Th- no, never.
2: <laughs> no, I don't think we have ever paid. I think no. we may have um, accidentally when we thought it was a legitimate fee. I think I think that has happened once, and I was kind of kicking myself for it. Um, but uh, but no, no, we 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 we've we, got we, so we, got, we have a policy of not paying. We've got
1: so good at getting out of things now. Yeah, yeah. Working together. I mean, well, one time in Zambia, the police pulled us over. And they decided that they wanted to inspect our bikes, and Stu's indicator wasn't working, so they legitimately had a reason to fine us five dollars. But um, all we had to do was swap a relay from my bike to his bike, and it made it look like, and the indicators would be working again. So we did that. <laughs>
2: Janelle, Janelle, was <laughs> had passed, and she she rode up the road about ten meters and just and parked up and was just waiting for me. And mine didn't pass, and he said the indicators. And I said, no, this was working this morning. Just I'm telling you, yeah, just cause bring back them. this this um this this uh, relay, and I'll and I'll plug it in. I'll show him it's working. So she just unplugs it, walks it back, and plugs it in. And I said, look, it's fine now. It's I don't know. It was just that just just when you tested me, it wasn't working, but it's fine. And uh, they it's said, like, oh, okay, okay, you can go. So...
1: It's like what you were saying before. If you haven't done something dodgy, you probably haven't travelled. <laughs>
0: Yes. I was told about the way to get out of tolls in Panama since they're everywhere. The one that the trick that I was told is you can sit there and be like, Oh, I can't find my wallet. Oh no. And you start uh, taking your gear off and you start taking the bike apart and they'll uh, tell you
1: to go away. <laughs> yeah, I, really one, annoying. Of my, one of my, one of my tricks in um, Africa, what really annoyed me was at the checkpoints cause they were just bored most of the time. So and a lot of these checkpoints, we were always trying to do the, the road less traveled where we could. Um, they really don't see people that, and very often. So when you turn up, you're like, you're their entertainment. And they want to look through your panniers. They never tell you what they're looking for. Um, but I started putting like my tampons and my, you know, all my girly stuff on the top. So as soon as I lifted the lid, they saw it and they were just like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome, though.
2: And then when I did the same thing, they definitely didn't want to talk to me.
0: (laughs) That's actually really cool. So you guys probably get asked a lot of the same questions over and over. Is there any of them that you really get tired of answering? Hmm.
2: I love to talk so
1: (laughs) yeah he does uh I think sometimes what sometimes what annoys me a little bit is um when guys sort of say oh how do you handle how do you handle that bike like is that isn't that too big for you it doesn't happen all that often um but it definitely happens and that really kind of yeah that kind of annoys me when when guys say that because they're not they're actually not really asking me a question they're just making a statement and they're not really interested in what I have to say
2: (laughs) and Janelle's seven years of riding some pretty challenging roads have made her uh probably a far better rider than most of these guys that are asking her the question anyway
1: (laughs) doesn't mean I don't drop it still (laughs) dropped it the other day in mud
2: Yesterday we're not
0: dropping your bike, you're not challenging yourself.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs)
2: Yesterday we rode some really challenging stuff for the first time in um in a long time. And it was it was dark. Um, we're just trying to find our accommodation and it was uh and I'm just like watching Janelle. Like like I've got the benefit of being like a fair bit taller than Janelle. I can put my feet down when it whenever I want to. Janelle has to be able to use the bike to to um get herself out of trouble and and it just she she's just grown, she's just like so has such an able rider now that um, yeah, it is really annoying when um when you get people that just assume that she's a, she's a she's a girl, she's not going to be able to ride that bike, so um and they just have to ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, yeah,
0: yeah, I got that a lot. I was on one of those big American cruisers at Victory Cross Country and got the, that sure is a big bike for such a little girl, and I'm over here like Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> of course I just made the demissive winking gesture for those who will be listening to this podcast but, <laughs> and then I get on the DR350 which is only a 350 but it's really tall, and I still get the same isn't that a tall bike for you? Nah. it only weighs 200 pounds anyway, or 300 pounds anyways yeah <laughs>
2: It comes. It's yeah. If you if you're riding the bike properly, it doesn't it it doesn't matter. It's the if you've got the control over it, and that's what and that's actually easier for guys to not actually have control over their vehicle because they can just put their feet down. But But,
1: uh, at the same time, I'm not worried about scratching it. (laughs) It goes down. It goes down. So what?
0: So what's been the greatest psychological toll on you both? You know, like what's been very hard for you to deal with? On the road.
1: Um, I would say it's when our dogs get sick. That's really, really hard. And and when that happens, all I want to do is be at home. Um, uh, and it's usually somewhere that feels like it's the furthest from home. And we've had, we, we I guess we're lucky, but we've had some like with with Skyler, she passed from cancer in the last the last. Probably two months were really, really difficult. Weedy, we've had all sorts of problems with her. She had, she had, she actually had epilepsy, and for two years she was on phenobarbital. Um, and she, she, the reason she had the epilepsy was because she had a tick-borne disease in her brain. We spent a huge amount of money in the U.S. trying to figure out what was causing the epilepsy, and we did. And uh, she went on a course of antibiotics, um, but uh, yeah, for two for two years she had to stay on the on the phenobarbital medication, and we didn't know whether she would ever have like what was going to be the repercussions, basically. But we, we're lucky that uh, she's the what am I trying to say that the the medication worked. So she went two years without any seizures and now she's been off the medication for two years,
2: close to two years. Yeah, no, coming up to three years now. It was just after we got back from Africa. We, we, um, she, yes, it was really, the the animals definitely, Skylar, when she got sick was just, and when when she passed away, it was, um, it was just heart-wrenching, um, it so was, yeah, it was awful. and just to be yeah, to be on the road and to just have no one but each other around and you know that that actually and actually it caused some friction in our relationship and um yeah, yeah, really that which obviously didn't help at all um with with trying to recover or heal from the um the loss of Skylar. Um and then yes, and, and Weedy she went into when she when we first found out she had epilepsy. She was going in and out of um, seizures every ninety minutes, and not really coming out of them. And for thirty-six hours, she was she was doing this, and um, and we just we had no idea what was going on to start with. We were in the middle of the woods in, or um, we were we were uh, were, were a long way. We're in the US, but we're a long way from. We're
1: actually staying with a biker friend, and thank God we were because she just helped us. yeah, we we couldn't have done it without her, really. She
2: just she just said, just take my car and drive to Madison. Um, it was like a five hour drive, and and we just we just assumed the vet was saying that it looks like you're probably going to have to put her down just for her own, just for her own sake because she was just so so ill with it. Um, and we but he gave he said we we said that we're gonna we're gonna take her to Madison. There's a university hospital there, and we'll just he said it'll be expensive, but you know, this one of the good things about traveling, is you generally have this stockpile of money that you and you can just justify it. You say well, if it's going to cost um, three thousand dollars to have some treatment for her at a hundred dollars a day, that's a month travel. So we will sacrifice a month travel to spend three thousand dollars on her. So that was, that's that's the maths we do, and um, yeah, so we we just we just got her to the hospital and. They gave her a really high dose of Valium, and, and after that, they did a whole bunch of tests and stuff, and they did identify what the problem was. But um, she hasn't had a seizure since that, that time. Um,
1: since she went on the antibiotics. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. She, the antibiotics and the phenobarbital. And, um, and then we had to wean her off the phenobarbital, and, yeah, three years ago, and not, no seizures. So she's pretty incredible, really.
0: Has the language barrier been an issue for you guys? psychologically
1: um it's it can be isolating yeah um yeah definitely and and then when we do finally come across some poor soul who speaks english we just like bombard them <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think you know it would be so nice if you could just talk to people everywhere in the world um but yeah
2: in 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 the Americas, obviously you can you can start learning Spanish, and you, you're good for you're good, good for yeah. e- even in um, Brazil, you, your poor Spanish will kind of get you somewhere. And getting into Europe. kind of and changing all the time that's really that is it is really draining and
1: and in africa you know they kind of divide it this is french speaking africa and this is i think there's italian speaking and spanish whatever um portuguese speaking africa when they say that um there's still all the local languages and most of the people you're going to be meeting don't necessarily speak the french or the portuguese um official people will but the locals will speaking will be speaking their local language. Um, so, yeah, we always get by. You know, we can always
2: and you figure can't out even, a
1: way of communicating.
2: You can't even use Google Translate for, um, no, for those because they No, because they haven't African seen language.
1: a smartphone before. <laughs> well, they
2: don't have their language isn't it, in Google in Google yeah. Translate, so yeah. But, um, but yeah, you can always you can always get by with gestures and and yeah, people. People know what you're talking about.
0: I would say you get really good at charades. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Let me do my interpretive dance for is beer. Yeah. <laughs> so two-part question. Do you guys have any advice for someone who wants to start traveling the world? And second part, what would your advice be for those who want to do it with their dogs, dog or dogs?
2: I t- Okay, so advice for someone who wants to travel the world, I would say... Uh, do it, just, just, yeah, just seriously.
1: Don't overthink it.
2: Don't overthink it. Take what people say on board but make your own decisions. We we had a lot of people give us advice at the start and it was kind of like you must do this, you must do this. I, it, do, it all comes down to you and your own uh, personality. I'll give you an example. I was told by someone to get rid of my genes and for me, like I live in jeans. I so it, I've got. I'm. I'm really. He still hasn't got over. I, it. I still haven't got over this. <laughs> so I threw later. out. So I threw out my jeans. And so all through um, Latin America, I didn't have jeans. And um, and yeah, so, jeans are a big thing for me. That's. It's you know not for everyone, but um, but for me they are. So sorry. Um. So yeah, that's just an example, of. Uh, sorry. Um. Yeah, sorry.
0: That's uh, uh, yeah. fine. I can edit
2: it out. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I would just say that you listen to what people say, but don't take it all on board. If it doesn't work for you, you you'll know that and just go with that. But uh, everyone's trip is going to be different, and everyone's advice is based on what they've experienced and what they um, and what they enjoy or, or or how they like to travel. So. Um, yeah, that's, I think it's a big one for me. Um,
1: I think for traveling with dogs, um, uh, again, don't overthink it, but make sure you have, make sure you have your paperwork in order, um, and, and try not to be in a rush because it, it does change the trip a lot. Uh, you need to think about stopping to let them stretch their legs um, uh, making sure they're getting enough rest, having drinks of water it's sort of it can't just be it's not just about you, and you have to remember that they they can't tell you so I guess if, just know your dog if you know your dog um, you'll know what their what their their limits are and and make sure you work in those limits but i I mean we love it we wouldn't do it any other way. I just love having my dogs with me. We are not on a schedule, so it makes things a lot easier for us. Um,
2: we've done sections on schedule, though, where we have had to. They they, they to. don't they
1: don't slow us down. I think we probably maybe we we put more thought into their happiness. Hmm. Yeah. Any time we
2: haven't been able to get into a country, uh, well, we've we couldn't get into Saudi Arabia because we didn't have a marriage certificate, and Janelle. As a female, wasn't allowed to travel without a family member. So, you know, there's there's heaps of reasons why you can't get into a place. Um, it's not just going to be. It's, it yeah. But
1: I think be prepared that not um, everywhere you go and not everyone you meet is going to mm. love dogs. You kind of have to get used to a fair bit of rejection. Yeah. Um, if you just if you're not if you if you're not organised and you just turn up to hotels for example. Um, they're be- gonna be a, they're gonna say thing they're gonna say they're not pet friendly, they're gonna say they're pet friendly, but they're gonna charge more than a person. You know, there's things like that. So you just have to be I think just be prepared for, for that as well.
2: And be ready to camp. Yeah.
0: Do <laughs> you, you think be- people
1: have liked you more because of your dogs or you've
0: gotten more attention? I think, that,
1: I think that dog people um like us more because of our dogs. I mean, often people just come and they walk up to the, the bikes and they and the dogs. They talk to the dogs and they don't say a word to us.
2: I think the dogs have really yeah. We've had a lot of people. It's been a
1: totally different kind of trip. Yeah, a
2: lot yeah. of a, a lot of attraction. A lot of people have come and um and offered things to us just because of the dogs. We've had I think they've paid for themselves in free accommodation just because of, <laughs> they've been there.
1: We we was so. <laughs> we were sat in a um. We carry this double camping chair with us. It's a bit of a luxury and um, actually mostly the dogs use it to sleep on. We don't use it so much but when we stop for lunch um, because we can't sit in restaurants with the dogs, we, sit at, we usually sit in the car park but we get our camping chair out. We were sat in a subway car park um, with our camping chair and the dogs and this guy walked up and I think he kind of, Thought we were homeless or something, and you gave us some money, and I'll buy something for the dogs.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. you guys
1: have mentioned that you got a lot of
0: tips and advice when you first started. About how much of that didn't work for you, percentage wise?
2: I'd say a very small amount, and most of it is good information. Um, so, maybe 10%. Not probably not even, was was actually just didn't work for us. Oh, I can't think? think of
1: any examples on this spot
2: The jeans is uh it's the big one. The
1: <laughs> That's nine out of the ten <laughs> percent. There were people that were
2: talking to us about the dog carrier, um, and they said that the way we attached it wasn't going to work, but uh, at that this point we'd already done trips in uh, in Australia with it, so we already knew it was fine. Um
1: uh yeah yeah i don't know I, 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 I yeah i'd have to really think about that
2: <laughs> i mean we were talking especially the the bike shop they gave us a list of all the spares that we should be carrying and oh, of course yeah, that's a big they one. want to sell their yeah. they, they just want to make a sale so to be selling you um spare clutch levers and all this stuff they said all these things are uh they could break so you should carry this list and it was huge and we're like we're going to need another pannier just for these spares so we just thought well it's better to take none if if it breaks you can dhl something to you anywhere in the world um and we've got the luxury of time so we just sit down and, and and wait for two weeks i mean you know dhl was there within five days to pretty much any location on the planet so um so we'll just take that risk. And that was a risk that we were willing to take because we have the time. Yes, it's expensive to do that, but that's only if we can't get it in our in the country we're in, then that's the fallback. So that's that's the yeah, that's the the risk we've taken, but but that certainly wasn't the advice from the bike shop or
1: People I mean a lot of, a lot of bikers do carry spare parts. Um Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I carry a lot of
0: spare parts and a very extensive toolkit, but I also ride a 30-year-old bike that isn't designed for the miles I put on it.
1: Yeah. Well we we have we have the toolkit. We've got all the tools Mm. we need. Um we don't yeah, but we don't usually carry the parts. Um we don't usually carry tires, we'll carry inner tubes. Um We have
2: yeah, we've been stuck with flat tires. I think in the first two years we had 17 flats oh, so uh, yeah a lot of flats oh so we're very good at taking the um the the tire off the rim uh we've done it in we've done it in um in yeah, in situations where it's been a bit dodgy and um we've had to rush it through but uh yeah we've got very good at that so we've always made sure we've we can we can do the tires because they're kind of something that you can happen anywhere we had a flat tire in africa when we were 8 kilometers from a main road we kind of gone looking for elephants just uh off following an ioverlander um pinpoint, pinpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and um we didn't find any elephants but we had this flat tire and it was uh, an area that that did have elephants around which you know they they they're dangerous to to come across and um and there're also lions in the area so we were we was you really needed to sort this out so <laughs> so we're glad that we had the the equipment to to repair that but um but yeah other things we um we, we it's a, we know it's a risk and it's a risk that we take and that's that's I mean everything every aspect of our trip is a risk in some ways, and we and we take on that risk and accept that risk um and that's where a lot of the advice comes from is to try and mitigate against a certain level of risk and that's where if you take it then you're 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 doing the same as the person who gives the advice you're mitigating against it. if you don't then that's your choice to to not to to take it and um and and accept that you're gonna have to deal with it yeah
0: Yeah. risk assessment is personal to each and every individual out there Mm -hmm. yeah so having been through as many countries as you've been through how do you guys deal with the currency change? Do you card everything or do you get cash every border?
2: We card as we, we, we as use much the card. As yeah. Yeah. yeah, we do. So we, we have this really good um, account, a borderless account, uh company called TransferWise. There's a few of them popping up now, internet uh, accounts that let you have currencies in a whole bunch of. Um, well you keep your money in a whole bunch of different currencies with one card and the exchange rate for this company anyway they always it's its very transparent the exchange rate they use for buy and sell is the same it's the middle exchange rate so they don't make money on on the on the change and whenever you go up to the atm machine and withdraw if we keep our money in australian dollars or in pounds or us dollars whatever it is it gets changed on the spot from that exchange rate to um, to what we withdraw and then there are fees they make they obviously they're a business they make money but it's all really transparent and their fees are um, are, are like tiny compared to what the banks charge You're just losing because some banks they'll offer um, uh, no conversion fees but they have a a really big difference between their buy and sell exchange rate so they're making that's where they're making their money and you you, you can't even see that because that changes every day so it's really hard to to tell what they're making so i yeah we i prefer to to work with these um with this this company this, uh, that we use transferwise it, the- it tran- it's called transferwise but there there are a few other competitors but but yeah we've tran- been using them for a few years now yeah we've been using them for yeah a few years they and you can they give you a card you can pay with card or you can go up to an atm machine and withdraw and you just I mean, some countries that have problems with their currency, we will need to make sure we withdraw from the country beforehand, and preferably in US dollars, so that when we go into the country, we can change money with them. So, like in Venezuela, they their currency was um, was uh, they had massive inflation, so it was changing every day. So we just had to go in there with preferably with US dollars, but also their border and countries, their currency will work as well. So we went in with Colombian pesos and and we could change money and um and they they'd accept it. and And you can't go to the banks there. so you just you have to be prepared. So cash cash in some places in the world is really your only option. Angola was the same thing. They had a black market rate that was um, much better than you were going to get at an ATM, so you just had to make sure you went in with cash.
0: Very interesting. Do you guys
1: keep a souvenir collection of any kind? Um, well, sort of. We probably – more so at the start of the trip. Um, I was trying to buy something from every country, but
2: uh, – We have got a massive bag of coins.
1: that <laughs> we do. <laughs> um, just
2: leftover coins from all over the world. When,
1: when we know that, for example, um, we're going to meet up with family or friends – um, then, then we then we can buy some things and they'll take them home for us. So my mum's my mum's met us a couple of times. She flew into South Africa, and so I knew I could and I asked her to leave some space in her suitcase. So I bought a few things. That but that was pretty much all we kind of got in Africa. It wasn't much more. Um, I got quite a bit of stuff in Latin America, but I actually shipped that home.
2: So that at the start of the trip. When we were just looking at two years and and we had better idea of what our budget was, it was easier to be buying things and then just go to a DHL office and ship it home. And but that quickly became well, it it, it isn't it isn't cheap to be doing that. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, especially when what you're buying is maybe five dollars and to ship it's about fifty dollars. So. <laughs> But, uh, it, yeah, anything from, like, little little artworks or tiles that depict a scene that means something to us that will remind us of a country or, um, uh, what are they called? Things to go on necklaces. Trinkets. Yeah, yeah, little. Charms. 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 That's it. Yes.
0: <laughs> I collect charms, actually, because they're small and I get one from each area I go to.
1: Yeah. Mm. And. and people will give us something Uh, there was a lady uh, in uh, Senegal we stayed with a family and the grandmother she had these little bracelets made from blue beads I think she probably made them and she gave me four of these bracelets so you know those kind of things are very dear Um, another another lady had a rock that she painted and I carry actually some of these things I still carry with me I like to have them with me I haven't sent everything home
0: I feel you. I I know what that's like. So do you guys want to go ahead and drop some links and what your names are on social media for people to find you?
1: Yep. Sure. Right now. Sure.
2: Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so all right. So I'm Stuart Clark.
1: Oh, this is part of the interview. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. I thought that was it. (laughs) Start again.
2: (laughs) Okay. So we're Stuart and Janelle Clark. And our trip is called The Pack Track, and if you'll find us at facebook.com slash thepacktrack, instagram.com slash thepacktrack, YouTube slash thepacktrack.
1: Yep, there's a pattern there. Yep. Or www.thepacktrack.com. <laughs> so we blog. We blog about our trip. Um, there's lots of photos. They're not very professional. We just kind of, yeah, it's just us. Um and um, if you're interested in anything to do with dog tra- dog travel, uh, get in touch with us um, and our motorcycle dog carrier, the Pillion Pooch, you can check out at uh, www.pillionpooch.com. Very nice. So now that that's all out of the way, do you guys have anything else you'd like to
0: share before we get out of here? Nope. <laughs> nope. Do you? Um, Where are you headed? So I'm currently in Tennessee at my boyfriend's kind of home base. He has a house rented out, but he's a veteran and he has a lot of health problems. So he has to come back for medications and appointments and a family. One of his friends from the army, he's been part of their family for like 10 years. So he's been living with them for five years instead of his own family and so I've been here with him. He's down with an electrical issue on the Harley, an issue with the BMW. And I'm currently running, finally, on my DR350. <laughs> but I'll be leaving out of here to head to Florida. And because of COVID, just kind of going to do the States this year. Yeah. Florida, California, maybe up to Northeast. So whatever, just poke around. I'm going to speak at a women's event in Colorado in June. Oh, Cool. Oh, cool. So I'll do what I can. I, I wish I, I have the money and I'm ready to go to South America, but until it, everything gets running again, I don't want to
1: go. Yeah, because it's not. It's really it's not. We've been traveling, but it's not the same. We kind of feel like we've missed out a lot. We've we've kind of done the countries, but um, we've seen the countryside and things like that. But we yeah, it's just. It's just not the same when you can't sit in the coffee shops and restaurants and go to the museums and.
2: Yeah, this year would have just been we, we were we we were able to work in the UK because we both got um, UK citizenship, so we, this year would have been better spent in hindsight, just, sit, just, just sitting just sitting just yeah sitting in the UK yeah. just just earning money rather than kind of pottering around Europe just waiting for things to get better. Like for for the first six months of the year, we were kind of. We still were thinking, oh, we can still get to Mongolia. We just got to wait for the borders <laughs> open. We can still get there. We can still get there. And then, just yeah. In hindsight, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Hindsight's 2020. That's kind of what I'm doing: is spend a little bit of money while I'm here, but try to save as much as I can for hopefully when everything gets back to normal.
1: Yeah. And do you is this um is is this lifestyle what you want to do like for forever, or are you thinking? There's something else down the track you want to do. I don't see an end, but
0: I'm only four years into it and haven't gotten to do nearly as many countries as I've wanted to. So I don't know, at least another five years. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. It's been really great chatting with you guys. And I really want to catch up with you when you get back to Australia to see how the rest of your trip's gone and what your plans are afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Anyway, so I think it's time to say goodbye. Unless you guys have anything else you want to add.
2: Nope, um, don't think so. Yeah. We 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 support. We've been trying to support the World Animal World well, Animal World Animal Protection. They changed their name. We keep plugging. Um, we've raised a few thousand, I think, over the over the years. So not a great deal in in seven years. We don't plug them as much as we should. But if um, yeah, if anyone would like to donate to a very worthy cause, that's that's one that we try to push.
0: Okay, I'll make sure and get the link on the notes too. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay, okay. Thank you.
0: Thank you guys for being on the show, and I can't wait for everyone to listen to your story.
1: Yeah. Thanks. So will it will it be on will it be on just do, is it just on Facebook or? No, this will be available
0: on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Pretty much anywhere a podcast is, this will be on. Oh,
1: wow. Okay.
0: I'll make sure and send you a link once it's live.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh, I'm going to hate listening to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I hate listening
0: to myself too, and I keep making these
1: shows.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much for
2: for the interest in our story. and Yeah. yeah, Taking the
1: time to talk to us.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to get you guys on another episode because I want to do the dog controversy travel thing. Okay. Yeah. There's okay. plenty there. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. You, we we can prepare for that and make it its very own special episode.
1: We we know we know a lot of um, biker dogs. So if you need uh, other people to interview yeah. to m- mix it up, um, yeah, there's a few out there.
2: Yeah.
1: I probably should get Moto Mutt and Israel on. Yeah, actually, I just friended him today because he's based in Romania. Yes. Yeah.
0: He used to be American, but now I guess he lives there. But I like Romania a lot.
2: Still got a very American accent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They don't go away. No. Our accents don't go away. (laughs) All right, I hope you guys have a good evening. I know it's getting late there and it's probably beer o'clock. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we've been drinking. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> good choices. Good choices. All right. You guys have a good one. You Thanks. too. See you later. Bye bye.